All right, if you've got a Bible, you can uh, go and open it to First uh, Peter 1. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 5 today. We are <clears throat> beginning this morning, as we've been talking about, the season of Advent together. Uh, Advent means coming, arrival. And in the church, Advent is a season. It's a rhythm in our shared life together, where for the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we look at the coming, the arrival, the advent of Jesus. Only probably not the one that you would expect. Advent uh, isn't so much a season looking back on Jesus' first coming, but traditionally it's always been a time to look forward to his second coming, to his second arrival, his second advent, and ask, what does it mean for us today to live in light of what we know is coming tomorrow in Jesus. And this morning, we're going to set the table for this entire Advent series by looking at what Advent is most centrally about, what it most fundamentally means if you're a Christian here today. Hope. So follow as I read God's word. In 1 Peter 1, Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's grace until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Andrew Del Banco, who's a professor, he teaches at Columbia University, he wrote a book years ago. Uh, he's not a Christian man. This book's called The Real American Dream, A Meditation on Hope. And in the book, he essentially says this. No one in this room can live without hope. As he starts writing the book, he says this. Human beings need to organize our lives into a story. When that story leads somewhere and thereby helps us navigate through life to its inevitable terminus in death, that story gives us hope. We must imagine some end to life that transcends our own tiny allotment of days and hours if we're to keep at bay the lurking feeling that all our getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. 
What Del Banco is essentially saying is this. All of us in this room, we are future-oriented beings. We can't just do life in the present all the time. We can't help but see our lives in a story, a story that's going somewhere, a story that's future-oriented, a story that whatever it is for you this morning helps you make sense of life, gives you hope. That whether you're a Christian or not, none of us in this room can stand to live a moment without hope. So where is your story going today? What will your future hold? What will tomorrow look like for you? What is your hope? That's the question of Advent. Advent is a season about tomorrow, about the future, about where your story is going. It's a season about the one thing that none of us in this room can stand to go without, hope. So let's look at Peter's words here and see three things in them about the hope of Advent, that it's real that is lasting, and that it's certain. So first, the hope of Advent is real. Peter says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Now, when Peter describes this hope here as living what he's doing is he's contrasting it to all other types of hope and saying that in comparison to the hope of Advent, any other hope is worthless, it's empty, it's dead. Now, this is an important distinction because you see, there is really no such thing as hopelessness, right? We talk about somebody sometimes, we say they're, they're hopeless. There is no such thing as hopelessness. Hope isn't a thing that you can have and then just suddenly lose one day. No, you always have hope. You're always putting your hope into something. The problem isn't that you can lose it, it's that you can put it in the wrong thing. That's what hopelessness is. Hopelessness is putting your hope in the wrong thing and that thing letting you down. It's putting your hope not in the living hope of Advent, but, but in a dead hope, a worthless hope, and experiencing that hope fail you. So what is this living hope that Peter's talking about? Well, he says in verse 3, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, in the gospel, the Bible promises that at the end of time, in ways that we don't even entirely have categories for. The glory and the power and the beauty of God will transcend onto this world and will renew all of creation and every Christian. 
that this world will be remade into something more stunning than it ever once was, and you and I in the gospel will be resurrected into someone more glorious than we'd ever dared think possible. And the start of all of this, Peter is saying, is the resurrection of Jesus. He's the preview, the trailer for the movie, the preview of what's to come. He's the first human to experience the end of time resurrection with the promise now that in the gospel, just as Jesus was resurrected, you can be too. That in the gospel, your future is incredibly bright. That at the second coming, at the second advent of Jesus, you will finally receive by grace the life you've always wanted and never truly had. And is this hope of advent and the resurrection of Jesus that is, is very different than the hope that our modern culture offers? You see, there are two kind of contrasting views of hope that our culture today oscillates between. The first is is just an optimistic outlook. It's a glass half full view of the world. It says that humans are improving, the world is becoming a better place, that the problems we have in society are things that we can solve through education, technology. Now the problem with this view though, is that it is incredibly naive about what's really wrong with our world. And that's why after things like a global pandemic, a war in Ukraine, uh, many people in our culture today, they're, they're swinging the pendulum the other way, towards cynicism. The author Tara Isabella Burton in a great article she wrote recently. She describes the modern cynical outlook this way. Uh, It says this, the world is the way it is. Those soft-hearted sheep who wish to pretend that it's otherwise, the social justice advocates who deny differences among persons, the utopian progressives who wish to explain away crime as a product of circumstances, The idealists who think two people can fall in love without implicitly comparing and maximizing their social capital are simply too cowardly to recognize it. Optimism is just cliches believed by people who need illusions to cling to. In other words, optimism, our culture would say today, is for the weak. It's just a crutch. It's for people who who don't have the courage to accept reality, to face, face the harshness of this world that will never change. And yet what Peter's describing here, the hope of Advent is something so much better than our naive optimism or our pessimistic cynicism. You see, in one sense, the hope that Peter's talking about here sees so much more clearly the brokenness of our world than our modern optimism does. And that's because the hope of Advent, it doesn't really actually begin with the resurrection. No, it starts three days before that, at the cross of Jesus. 
The pastor, John Stott, would, uh, would regularly go to Asia uh, to teach, to visit churches there. And, and I once heard him talk there about standing there in front of statues of Buddha. And he said uh, he would stand there respectfully looking at Buddha, legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his lips, himself withdrawn from the real world of suffering into a fantasy world remote from reality. But then Stott would say, I could only stand it for a few moments until I had to look away from Buddha and look in my heart to the cross, to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure, Jesus. Nails through his hands and feet, back torn, forehead bleeding, tormented by thirst, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. That's the God for me, he says. One who entered into our world of pain. See, the Christian hope doesn't begin with Easter, but Good Friday. It's a hope born in tragedy. Meaning that unlike our our modern optimism, the hope of Advent is not at all naive about the brokenness of our world. No, in the cross, it stares in the face the worst that there is. It sees clearly sin, evil, and death. It is bluntly honest about what's really wrong with us and the world that we live in. But it doesn't stop there. No, if it did, we, all we would have would just be nothing more than our, our modern pessimistic cynicism. No, the hope of Advent is in Jesus whose story doesn't end in tears, but laughter. It's a hope that gets planted in Jesus' cross, but that blossoms in his empty tomb. It's a hope that can walk out of the grave, that can write a new story, that can make everything sad come untrue. A hope that, the, that Tara Isabella Burton says changes the entire genre of our lives that brings comedy from ruin. It's a kind of hope that unlike our modern cynicism, she says, refuses any narrative of ourselves as uniquely heroic or uniquely brave because we are the ones who can withstand the wickedness of our world. No, it's a quieter kind of bravery. The conviction that one day we might not have to. So the hope of Advent, it's real. Second, it's lasting. Uh, Years ago, Burger King did this commercial uh, that maybe you have seen. Uh, It's been dubbed the Moldy Whopper commercial. Now, the, the whole point of this commercial was this. It, uh, it was time-lapsed pictures of a Whopper sitting on a stand uh, over 34 days uh, that it sits on the stand. And so we got a picture. Here's what it looks like on day one. 
All right, so it's all doctored up. Carlos Amoido, who does a lot of photography with food, could tell us all the different ways that they get the food ready for this. So here it is on day one, right? Uh, here it is now on day 34. Right, so who's excited to go to Burger King right now? Uh, now, as disgusting as that was, the commercial was actually genius because what they were trying to do uh, was they were trying to rewrite this whole narrative on fast food. Uh, that Burger King's food molds like it should. That, that it's not pumped full of preservatives. It's not this bionic food, right? It won't last forever. It's not a hockey puck that you're eating in there. No, it's real food. It molds, it deteriorates. If you leave it out, it will fall apart. Burgers mold. They should. They should not keep forever. Hope should. If it is anything worth putting your hope in, it shouldn't mold over. It shouldn't break down. It shouldn't fall apart. No, it should have something preserving it. It should keep, it should be a hope that lasts. And Peter is saying the hope of Advent lasts. There's three words that Peter uses to describe this lasting hope of Advent. It's a hope that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Perish means that this hope can't be corrupted. It's, it's free from death and decay. Spoil means that it can't be defiled. It won't lose its beauty. It's, it's free from any sort of impurity on it. And fade means that it can never change. Right? All of us change with time. Okay? If you are in the room right now, you are slim and good-looking. I have got bad news. There will be a time coming when you will no longer be slim or good-looking. Right? We all change with time. We all fade, we all age, but Peter is saying this hope won't. No, it's the one thing in this world that cannot be even touched by time. And it's a hope that Peter says is being kept in heaven for you. That this is a hope that is pumped full with preservatives. A hope that is being set aside. A hope that will last. Because this hope is ultimately Jesus. As Peter calls this hope in verse 4, an inheritance. In the Old Testament, the inheritance, that was the land that God gave Israel, the promised land. Uh, but it was never just about getting the land. Now in Joshua, the, the book where Israel finally gets to move into their new home, God tells Joshua, I am your inheritance. And it's this same thought that gets carried out all throughout the life of Israel in the Old Testament into the New Testament here in 1 Peter and for us today. In the gospel, our true inheritance isn't just a renewed world or resurrected bodies. It's God. It's Jesus. This is why the hope of Advent the hope that Peter's talking about here. This is why it'll last. 
A hope that will never perish or spoil or fade because it's being kept for you in heaven because this hope is Jesus. Meaning even though our lives are not free from death and decay, meaning though even though our hearts are stained and unclean, even though our stories do change with time, this hope cannot be destroyed. Where in your life today, where has it become too risky to hope? Where in your life or in your sin or in your story do you think you have now become too much for Jesus? This hope can withstand all of that. This hope, the hope of Advent can last through the darkest moments of your life, through a deeper sorrow than you knew you could face, through that thing you did that sent your life into a crisis, this hope can outlast all of it. It can take anything you can throw at it because this hope, the hope of Advent is Jesus. Is by grace through faith, not just enjoying a renewed world and resurrected bodies, but the risen Christ. The hope of Advent is one day getting the unfettered, undiluted heart of Jesus to enjoy forever. It's at the end of time, walking through the door of death into what the Puritan Richard Sibbs called a day with no night, a resurrected eternity of unfiltered intimacy with the lover of your soul, where we will all stand speechless in joy, wonder, awe, and relief in the reality of Jesus' love for us which Hebrews 13 says will never change. So the hope of Advent, it's real, it lasts, finally it's certain. So here's the big question at this point. This all sounds great, right? But can I lose this hope? If I have it right now, does that mean I'm, I'm truly going to have it forever? Peter answers that in verse 5. He says, This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter is saying here, this hope the hope of Advent, the hope of Jesus is being kept for you by faith. Faith, uh, Ed Clowney, who's an author, he, he said, faith is this. It's not trusting in our achievement, but trusting in God's achievement. It's trusting in where this passage all began in verse three, the great mercy of God. It's a hope, in other words, that comes into our lives then by faith, meaning not by works, not by being nice, respectable, having the American dream family and, and keeping up a good reputation all without any felt need of Jesus. No, it comes by faith. It comes by owning your need 
with the joyful expectation that the father of great mercy can't hardly hold himself back to fill it for you with Jesus. Meaning this hope, the hope of Advent, it's a hope for sinners, for sufferers, a hope for wanderers, a hope for people with a past, for people with regrets, for the beat up, for the tired, for the overwhelmed, for those with pain, despair, and hurt, for the people who can't keep it all together. And for those of us here today who haven't quite realized we can't do it either. It's a hope based on faith, not works, meaning our sin. The one thing that we would expect that can keep us out of this hope is actually the one thing that qualifies us for his hope. The one thing that will magnify our experience and our joy of this hope. It's a hope based on faith, meaning in the gospel, it is a hope that you can never lose. But maybe you're thinking right now, that all sounds great. And it's probably great for most people. But my faith is weak. I doubt. I struggle. I fall into patterns of unbelief in my life. If, if this you're saying is up to my faith, this does not feel very certain at all. Hear Peter's promise to you and to all of us in this room who that is just as much true of. Verse 5 your faith is being shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. See, all of, all of our faith is weak. We all have doubts. We all fall into sin. We all fall into t- patterns of unbelief in our life. And all of our faith in the gospel is by grace being guarded. The Greek word there is used to describe putting an entire garrison of soldiers into a troop to protect it. Your faith is being protected, is being shielded by God until the day where we walk into the full and complete reality of this hope. Meaning this hope is certain that in the gospel, it is being kept for you and you are being kept for it. that the hope of Advent, of Jesus' return, to make everything sad come untrue is more certain for you right now in the gospel than the next breath you take. And to the degree that we cultivate this faith, that we come here on Sundays and we worship our Father of great mercy, that we spend unhurried time in God's word, enjoying his story of grace, that we invest in a community of people helping one another grow in wonder and astonishment at God's love for us to the degree that we cultivate our faith, this hope becomes even more and more and more certain to us. That we can answer more and more and more our heart's greatest question today. Will my story have a happy end? 
The, uh, the movie critic Roger Ebert, he once did a, a review of the movie The Gray, if anyone's seen that in here with Liam Neeson. Um, Ebert, at this point, uh, he was losing a, a long battle with cancer. He was at the end of his life, and, and he knew it. He, he kind of knew what was, what was going on. And after watching The Gray, which, um, as a spoiler alert, but I don't really care because the gospel is more important than a movie. So uh, it's about a pack of, or a group of men who are being hunted by a pack of wolves. And, uh, and here's the big ending. They all die. Uh, very painful, violent deaths. None of them make it. Uh, at the end of watching this movie, uh, Ebert was, as he puts it, stunned with despair. In fact, he did something he's never done before. He walked out of the theater. And afterwards, he, he was writing and he wrote a, a short little article about what bothered him so much about the movie. And he says this, the gray advances with pitiless logic. There are more wolves than men. The men have weapons. The wolves have patience. The weather is punishing. I sat regarding the screen with mounting dread. The movie had to have a happy ending, didn't it? See, Ebert is merely asking the question we all ask of our lives. It has to have a happy ending, doesn't it? We are all future-oriented people. We all make sense of our lives through a story, a story that's going somewhere. And the question we are asking of that story every day we wake up is, will it have a happy end? Will my future be promising? Will my tomorrow be bright? Will my hope come through? And Peter is saying, if you put your hope in Jesus... If you trust your eternal future to him, he's got big plans for you. Advent. It's the happy end you've always wanted. Believe it. Let's pray. Our father of great mercy. We thank you that in the gospel, we have been reborn, a process that just like our natural births, we didn't do anything to participate with, one that is all your grace at work in our lives. We have been reborn into a living hope, one that is real, one that lasts, and one that's certain. Father, I pray that you would give faith of this hope into some of us in this room today who have never trusted it at any moment in their life up until this point. And for others of us, Father, I pray that you would make this hope more and more and more certain to us today so that we can live with joy now, knowing that in the gospel, our future is incredibly bright. Amen.